Welcome to Reality TV PhD. I'm Christina. And I'm M. Here's the deal. M and I were both in school for far, far too long. We decided it was time for us to climb out of the ivory tower and plop onto the couch to talk about our favorite academic subject, reality TV. From dating shows that make you question the future of humankind, to competition shows with 40-plus seasons, to that one show about a farmer trying to find a wife, for better or worse, we watch it all. We're here with hot takes, dissertations about topics you never asked for, and questions you wished another student would ask so you don't have to. Class has begun. Hello, Christina. Hi, Em. Good morning. Is it too early for you? It's not too early for me. And, you know, what I really can't get over is the fact that you watched arguably the best episode of Survivor Australia moments before this podcast on a Saturday morning. Look, if I wasn't married and watching it with my spouse, I would have watched it at 5 a.m. when I woke up. But I waited until 9 when the IHOP was delivered. Okay, she's had a whole setup, people. A whole setup. Let's get started. M, how do we know each other? I mean, we don't. That's the that's the short of it. We met at a wedding. Shout out Tracy Cook. Uh, we were both bridesmaids. Is that the right word? Yes, it Tracy, is. Tracy arranged a seating chart for the rehearsal dinner and put us across from each other at a table. And we reality TV came up because for me, it always comes up, maybe for you also. And then it was like, I felt like I was in a fourth dimension where I finally met the person who can keep up with my reality TV references. And my boyfriend was just sitting next to me, just like, what is happening right now? So ever since then, which I think was May of last year, we've been texting about reality TV, but really, we don't know each other at all. We know each other a little. Our relationship is growing, I would say, through this podcast. It's growing in real time as we experience the world of reality television together. The golden era. Christina, just before we we get into the the meat of this, which I have so many things from this week in reality TV I need to discuss with you, why don't you give the listeners just a little bit of background about, I don't know, anything that you think would be useful for them to know about who you are or professionally or whatever. Sure. So my CV starts with, I guess, my origin story of reality TV, Survivor, day one, episode one. And I'm now a completionist of the US version. I've now learned there are many versions because of M. Professionally, I am a lawyer. I'm a law professor. And I'm also a yoga teacher, if that's at all relevant. See, wow. Em's learning new things. I did not know she's a yoga teacher, everybody. Also, completionist. Way to brag. I am not a completionist. I know. I. It's my downfall. This may be like one of my worst traits, although I've been getting better at like putting down books. But with television, yeah. one day I'm going to hit all of Bachelor Nation and let's all strap in for that roller Pray coaster. Pray for her. Pray for her. My background, you know, I'm not a completionist. But I think my foray was MTV reality TV shows. I love the real world. I love road rules. I love the challenge. I still watch the challenge. Interestingly, the challenge is on season. I think they're filming 39 right now, which is very close to Survivor. Okay, yeah, I think it's 39. 
my love of reality TV continued to grow along with my age. And uh, <laughs> I still watch too much of it. I did not watch all the Survivor seasons. I kind of, there's like a gap in the corpus for me, but I am revisiting some of them. For example, I am revisiting Pearl Islands right now. So, and professionally, I do stuff with data and I do research things and I got my PhD in something similar to social psychology. It's called organizational behavior a couple of years ago. So I too was in school for too long, but I love thinking about the intersection of social psychology and reality TV. So that's kind of the lens I'll probably bring to a lot of our conversations. We're both in really, really interesting parts of our our um, personal survivor journeys. Christina is currently, I convinced her to start watching Survivor Australia. If this podcast is listened by, you know, one person and that person watches Survivor Australia as a function of it, I'll feel like it was a success. So Christina's in a, in a great season of Survivor Australia. I'm in an origin season of Survivor US. So Christina, what can our listeners expect from the pod structure each week? Just give them a little primer before we get into it. Look, we love school on this podcast. So we have structured this around a class that you might take. We will begin every episode with a little chit chat. We'll dive into Homeroom, where we give our highs and lows of the week, which should be interesting because we both watch a whole lot of different things. We will have the meat of the episode be our seminar, and we're going to track a season of a show closely, and obviously that can change. So we'll be starting this episode with Survivor, and the end of the episode will be our office hours where Em and I will talk about whatever the hell lights us up that week. And I am sure it will be vastly different, but highly entertaining. Christina and I should not be confused with teachers, okay? In this podcast. This is like a classroom in the Socratic seminar sense, where she and I are both students. As are, I would hope, all of the listeners are students of reality TV as well. So when we say classroom, we don't mean we're here to teach anything. We're here to have a dialogue with one another. And ideally, we post an episode and my DMs are blowing up from friends and acquaintances, from my current life and my past lives, just coming out of the woodwork to tell me things that they've noticed about reality TV and like things they want to talk about. And we're going to have guest lecturers on the podcast as well to hold court about a either show that's of interest to them or some kind of expertise they have that's relevant to reality TV. So if you're interested in that, just let us know. We'll drop our email at the end of the pod so you can send us a note if you want to join. Get out of here. Christina made an email for this. Get out. All right, let's get into it. Homeroom is where we're going to cover our high, our low, and our open question of the week. So zooming out to any reality TV show that we watch this week. Christina, why don't you kick us off? Because I see a little note about what yours is, but it's so vague and I need to hear you talk about those. The problem is that I love a reveal. I love a surprise and we'll never know what I'm about to talk about. My high of the week is Survivor Australia. I was peer pressured by many people to watch this. And I'll admit the only barrier was the fact that it's on YouTube and I had to click a few extra buttons to pull it up on my TV. 
But when everyone told me season whatever we're on, episode seven is the greatest episode of Survivor ever, I was convinced. I'm not even going to talk about the episode I watched this morning. What I'm loving about Survivor Australia is that it gives me that old school Survivor feel. It's just totally different than the U.S. Survivor. Even the shots of the beach, like there's overgrowth, there's trees hanging in the way. Our current Survivor, you feel like they've been filming on this beach for 10 years. Like they know where to put the cameras. They know where the best light is. I will also say it feels super dangerous. If you're not watching it, watch it. What are you doing? Yes, it's three episodes a week. Yes, they're each like an hour and a half long. What I will say about the length of the episodes, at first I was like, oh no, this means that these episodes are poorly edited. They leave too much in. No, the editing is tight. It's telling a story, but we're able to see people's gameplay and conversations to a level we do not see in the U.S. 45-minute episode. We have longer tribals. We have discussions about who's playing which game and what their strategy is going to be and the challenges. I love that. Love it. There's no question marks about, like, why did that happen? All right, my high of the week. This is me trying to turn a drastic low in the reality TV community into a high of some kind, because I have to. No, I'm not watching Vanderpump Rules this season. Yes, it is as if I'm watching it because I am glued to my subreddits about it and (laughs) the scandal that is happening. This podcast would be three hours if I tried to explain the scandal, so I'm not going to, but... I hope no one needs to hear me say Team Ariana, but if there's any question, Team Ariana. So my high amidst this terrible, terrible low, but I will say my high of the week is the fact that Tom's last name is Sandoval. And when a reality TV person's last name or first name lends itself to a tweak of the name that fits the moment perfectly. I just think, thank you, world. So there's Scandaval, Scamdaval, and it just brings me joy that his last name was so easily changed into his true villain status. I am watching this play out with such joy because I know that summer break is when I will watch all of Vanderpump Rules. And it will be maybe six months from now, I'll text Em and be like, I understand what happened. I know who the people are. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's rocked my world. I'll never forget where I was when I learned when the news broke. I'll never forget. Well, and, and you've seen the legal intersection this week, right? Oh, have I? Send it to Daryl. Oh, I've seen it all. We do need to talk about this at a later pod about the the different lawyers they've hired and if you have any thoughts on them. Apparently, Sheena's lawyer is like really impressive. But anyway, lows of the week. So my low of the week is a consistent low for me the last month, which is below deck. I just have not been feeling this season. Captain Sandy stepped in to replace Captain Lee because he had health issues. Captain Lee is back. I love Chef Rachel. The rest of the crew hasn't really done a ton to hold my interest. I feel like I'm comparing to other seasons of the show that I love now, like, or other iterations, like Below Deck Sailing Yacht, Captain Glenn, Gives Me Life. Here's my other low that's tied to this, 
is I also love Oscar nominated movies, meaning I love to watch every single one that's nominated completionist over here. One of the movies that's nominated is called Triangle of Sadness. Have you heard of this, M? No. And I, I really have not seen many movies, I'll say. Don't see this movie. This is a parallel low. It's a dark comedy slash drama. But the first 45 minutes, I'm like, holy shit, we have an Oscar nominated movie for Below Deck fans. It is taking place on a ship. There's the comparison of the guests to the crew. In Below Deck, you'll see people like this week asking for a pairing dinner and then being way too drunk to even enjoy it. On Triangle of Sadness, you have guests talking to the crew about how the sails are too gray. There's not even sails on the boat. It is hilarious. I was cracking up. I thought this was going to be one of my favorite movies of the year. Unfortunately, there's about 30 minutes right in the middle of the movie of everyone having very graphic food poisoning. And I can no longer recommend this movie to anyone because it turned me off of the whole film. Very willing to engage in a dialogue with anyone that watched and loved. But I cannot say that you should watch Below Deck or Triangle of Sadness. Yeah, there's been a rise of like disgusting eating challenges on at least the MTV Challenge franchise. And there's like entire... 20 minute segments of them just like eating this disgusting stuff and then vomiting a lot in like slow motion. And I'm like, who is actually enjoying watching this? I don't understand. Quick thing about Blow Deck. I know we want to be as nice and charitable to the people on these shows as possible. And I will, I will just, I'm sure he's a very nice person, but the, the bosun, the lead deckhand, like gives me, he like makes me feel weird. For me, I can't ever get past this situation where there is a superior and a subordinate engaging in a romantic relationship. I don't care that you're in your 20s or however old you are, or it's a more relaxed workplace. There's an ick factor that will always be present for me. And I mean, I know that's why shows like Below Deck are really fun to watch, but I'll never be able to get over it. My low of the week is, did you watch The Bachelor episode? You did, right? Certainly. Okay, so in the Bachelor episode this week, they went to a mentalist magician person. And yeah, Christina's clapping. I'm clapping. There should be more magic in the more magic magician mentalists in the Bachelor franchise in general. I think they should always do one right before hometowns because boy, does it bring things to the surface. My low is when the mentalist was talking to one of the contestants, Gabby, and he was like, like, he was asking her to do this imagine thing. He's like, there's a cube in your hand. And she's like imagining the cube in your hand. And then he goes, what is the cube made of? And she says, glass. And then he goes, glass represents you. You People can see through you and you don't make sense to them or something like that. And my low of the week was being told that glass represents you. And then I started thinking like, what would I, what could someone have said where I would have been happy that the mentalist followed it with? This that represents you. Like she just said glass, and I'd be like, I don't want glass to represent me. That's, you know, does that it's kind of harsh. It's like maybe fragile and breakable. And also people can see through me. I don't even know what that means, but also they don't understand me. That's like really hitting me hard from just like this random imagination exercise you had me do where I thought I was holding a glass cube. 
So then I started thinking like, what would be a good answer where the mentalist would have made me feel good about myself? And I don't think there is one. Maybe if I had said something like fire, that would have been a nice, <laughs> nice thing. But um, in general, I, by the way, the mentalist part was a high, but just in thinking about being a contestant and being told that glass represents you was a low, but maybe I'm not being nice to glass. I love the mentalist as well. Strongly preferred his party trick to the ways in which they other practicing witches or other um, indigenous practices that they highlight on The Bachelor to wherever they're going. I love a mentalist. One visited us in a restaurant once and I was shocked. Look, any of these things that you subject these women to non-consensually is going to trigger something in them because of this situation they've been in. I think any mentalist was going to get them all to cry. Christina talking like a true social psychologist. Context matters. Look at this. (laughs) Episode one. She's already here. So my open question is related to The Bachelor. And maybe this is just a personal question. But I have noticed in the last five years that I truly cannot get any of the contestants correct in my mind until maybe about hometowns. And I feel like that didn't used to be the case. There would be people that didn't go as far that were more memorable to me. So my question is, has the editing changed? Have the people become less memorable? Or am I just getting older and my attention span is not what it used to be? I haven't thought about this, but I'll throw another hypothesis out. And by the way, open questions are supposed to be like prompts for essays you would write. So if anyone wants to write an essay response, send it over. One hypothesis I'll also add in is that when I was watching The Bachelor when I was younger, maybe like early early 20s, I would remember characters or players more, contestants, because I like I wanted to be them because they were like slightly older than me. There were contestants who I was like, oh, like I really think that that woman is cool or this this thing about this person is I like, I want to be that person. I don't feel that anymore because I know that I can't, I can no longer be a 26 year old. I don't even know. Maybe if you aspire to be the person you see, the people you see on the screen, then you're more likely to differentiate them. Yeah. Look, I definitely did the same thing. I think that's right on. And, you know, now that I'm old and I can't be 26 and straight anymore, I have no future on The Bachelor. My open question is, I think we should just use this as a launching into Survivor as well. So seminar kind of starts now. Homeroom is ending. We're talking about this on the way to seminar from homeroom transition moment. Is the concept of, I'm sure people have written about this, but the concept of self-awareness in in reality TV franchises. And I think I'm like particularly noticing it in Survivor because I'm watching season 44 of US Survivor and then going back to like whatever Pearl Island season is. I don't even know what number it is. Maybe it's like 16. It could be six. I really don't know. Check that right now. I don't know. It's a really old season. And I'm watching Australia Survivor. The seasons are confusing there, but I'm watching the current one where there's only like six seasons. Did you find it? Season seven. Season seven. Okay. So I'm watching this like, 44th season of survivor and then i'm juxtaposing it with 
a very early season of U.S. Survivor and this equally early season of Australian Survivor because it's a new franchise, relatively speaking. There's become a self-awareness to the game in the U.S. franchise that is like sucking the life out of it for me. And I think this is what Christina might have been saying earlier or maybe when we were texting. I can't remember. It's all blurring together. I just want to watch people be people and not self-monitoring so much. I don't know what the right term is, but it's like the audience awareness, I think, is what I mean by self-awareness. When I'm watching Pearl Islands, I'm watching people play the game as if there's no one watching them play the game. And they're just playing it intensely and they're like yelling at each other because they're like actually mad at each other. And they're not thinking about the fact that like, oh, in the history of Survivor, this has never been done before. Or in the history of Survivor, we know that this thing is a really bad thing to do, even if it's like maybe an outdated belief. So anyway, my open question is like, for a franchise to continue being successful, is there some way to overcome this self-awareness? Because I, I feel like it's like perfectly in lockstep with more seasons happening, which is perfectly correlated with being a successful franchise. And it's so hard for me to think of what a solution might be. And just an open question about like the nature of something having more seasons, more things to, you know, reference, self-referencing greater viewership, so more awareness of an audience, and how that might take away the purity of the show. I completely agree. This is one of the points that I had from this week's episode, episode two of season 44 of Survivor. It started in the dark following last week's tribal council. And for me, that's always a sign of a good episode because something went down in such an intense way that we have to pick right up where we left off. One of the first comments that someone made, and I believe it was Matthew, was saying that was an iconic tribal council, like sort of situating that council in the entirety of tribal councils within the Survivor universe. He later talks about practicing all these puzzles and sort of this awareness of where he is as a player in this season of Survivor and also within the universe of Survivor. And I think this is also a reason that I am loving Survivor Australia is because this discussion is just not present. And so I sort of have been calling this the like meta conversation where you're talking about the game while you're in the game. You're talking about being a fan while you are a contestant and now someone's a fan of you. It's, it's a little bizarre, and it's been done for many years. This is not new. But I did Google meta survivor. Nothing really popped up. I spent about 10 seconds on it, so that's not really a sufficient search. I feel like we see attempts to not have this conversation in other shows. And the example I was thinking of was in The Bachelor, how there's like a requirement by producers that you call it a journey and there's specific language that you have to use so as to not wrench viewers out from the experience, to not tell viewers that you know, like, I am on a dating competition show. Again, now that's sort of a joke for all of us viewers because it's not, you know, it's not seamless either. So I don't really have a solution other than I know this is the era of gameplay we're in in Survivor. We're with people that know the show so well that they can build 3D replicas of puzzles and try to perfect them before going in. But this level of awareness does take some of the magic out. 
It definitely does. And that brings me to, well, I think that was one of your moments to discuss. And I think we share another moment to discuss, which is the Matt and Franny of it all. The romance, the like the first romance on a Survivor season since, I don't know, a long time. So there's this two people who seem to be interested in one another and are flirting. And it's very sweet. I love watching it, obviously. But there's this commentary from other tribe folks about like, what are they doing? Like, that's such a bad move. That's such a liability for them to be such a close duo. And then even the two of them are like, we shouldn't talk for the rest of the day because we don't want people to think that we're such a tight pair. But then I started thinking like, where is that? You know, is there really at this stage, especially in the game, is there really a danger of being a tight pair? Like, there are friendships and close partnerships in this game. And oftentimes there are ones that you can't see, but they are, they do exist. So there's always going to be tight pairs. And so it just seemed to me like everyone has just come to the point of believing because of the history of Survivor that like you shouldn't be in a romantic couple on the beach at all because like that's bad. And it's just a belief that no one is challenging and they're just parroting that like this is bad when in reality I have a hard time thinking about like I mean I know there's examples of tight pairs being targeted usually closer to the end because it's like once the numbers dwindle if you have a number one that's really tight to you that's a real threat if there's like an unbreakable bond but at this stage I'm like and that's what I mean by it kind of takes the joy out of it because I just want to watch these people like flirt and like this guy is heartbroken from a recent breakup and i'm like yeah matt go talk to franny and like her laugh is fun and like you guys should go on a a reward date like i want to see that and i don't want them to be confined to not doing that because they just have this passed down belief that this is like a the wrong thing to do in playing the game i completely agree we have seen one big couple come out of Survivor, Boston, Rob, and Amber, season eight. That's season eight. We are in 44. To say that this one couple is now a warning sign that look what could happen if you create such a strong alliance that it becomes a relationship. And I think people point to them because they both got to the end. And I think that's everyone. everyone's fear is letting a pair get to the end. But again, what is this fear around it being a romantic relationship, I think both of us would argue that close-knit friendships could be even more dangerous. Totally. There actually was another couple that came out of Survivor, but the, um, I don't remember the season it was, but it's Elizabeth. And you're not going to remember this, I don't think. Elizabeth, this is really niche information, folks. There's also a couple that came out. I think they started dating after. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Okay, Elizabeth and Jack or no? This is like season 39, Elizabeth and Jack. Jack had the long hair. Yes. And Elizabeth was like a swimmer. Is that who you're thinking about? That is who I'm thinking about. Okay. Yeah. There you go. And then like Kara and Alec Merlino or Marino on the season with uh, Mike White started dating afterwards. They broke up since they have since broken up, I think. So anyway. And Jeff dated a contestant. Did not know that. That is salacious. Anyway. So we, I think we're in agreement here. Just stop being so self aware. Let Matt and Franny live. Also, Matt, 
is really living the dream. I keep looking at him. He talks about his breakup. I'm thinking, wow, if I had gotten on Survivor after a breakup, life changing. Life changing. They should have a they should have a season. Oh my god of all people who have recently suffered heartbreak or what about like just general life transitions yes leaving a long-term job kids moving out of the house empty nesters call us survivor i have goosebumps jeff call us i think just calling referring to what we just said i think that's why i find carolyn and jam jam so refreshing is because they are playing in the way that i'm like begging people to play. Christina's nodding and looks like she's about to explode. Carolyn gets my honor roll of the week award. And I am just loving her and Jam Jam. And I agree. They are playing with the purity and excitement that where is it? Where is it, everyone else? Where is it? It's like drop the pretense, everyone else. Love you all. I can't imagine being a super fan and playing this game. I know it must be stressful, but like just... Carolyn is also a super fan of the game. And I don't, in Carolyn's case, I just don't think she can help herself but to be the way that she is. But, (laughs) which is my kudos to the casting of Survivor. When you cast someone that you know is a super fan, but their personality is so strong that they just cannot deny their nature. Excellent television. And I think Carolyn and Jam Jam are both. They both share that trait. Yeah. So I was going to, you know, interestingly, my honor roll of the week is Jam Jam. Because without Jam Jam, I think that Carolyn, I would be more stressed about Carolyn and like feel like she's, I think, more different than she is. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I agree. I was incredibly stressed for Carolyn when she got into the birdcage As soon as she started to talk to Jam Jam about her plans and what she was going to do, I felt like, okay, there is someone with her. They can navigate this together. Yes. And I think he said something at Tribal, like, Carolyn cries when, like, I don't know, when you open a papaya and it's good or something. And he was like, that's just, like, who she is. And I was like, we all need a Jam Jam in our life. Do you identify with that, though? The crying upon opening a papaya? Usually, I I mostly only cry when it... I wouldn't cry about that because it's not interpersonal. There's not other people involved. If it's just me and an and an inanimate object, I don't think I would cry. So no, Christina, I don't identify with that. <laughs> Noted. I think this is a good time to get into our cry count and our yes. Count. I agree with you. I agree with you. Oh, and we call this the Taurus cry count and the Aries scream count, just for everyone to know. Happy to report, my cry count this week was only one. <laughs> at what point though i cried when matt was talking about his breakup and they played that sad violin music in the background i literally cried he was he was saying things like that that relationship was everything to me oh get out of here don't judge me look you know i cry i have feelings too not often in survivor i did scream three times though this week Nice. All related to Carolyn. When she encountered that snake in the tree. Yes. Wow. Um, my spouse, for everyone listening, anytime they show wildlife on Survivor, <laughs> Taryn says, ew. So that is what we heard when the snake appeared. 
When Carolyn got into the birdcage, I screamed. And then when she replaced the bag into the birdcage and relocked it, which was very smart, I also screamed out of fear she would get caught. I mean, was it very smart or was it very not smart for her to take it out in the first place without realizing that she was by herself and everyone else was together? And if they came upon it, they would realize it was Carolyn who took it out. Look, she had the (laughs) urge to get in there. But here's my question. When they then realized that it had, in fact, been opened because she didn't close the bag all the way, it didn't seem like she I know. No one thought it was her? I know, which means that they must not have looked at it so closely in time to when they all left to go get water together. You could see that people were doubting how they remembered it. Yeah. But also, to me, that says something about who Carolyn is as a person and her potential for great gameplay. Totally. I don't know if she's, again, strategically doing any of these things and managing her perception in this way. She just, But she just might be perfect at the game. Exactly. And you know what? Survivor takes all kinds and all types of people have one. And that is why I remain a committed fan to this day. Let's go to office hours. So for my office hours this week, I want to talk about intersectionality through the lens of dating shows, specifically Farmer Wants a Wife. Oh, shit. Did you watch this, Em? No, because you told me that I shouldn't watch it. It's I maintain that it's not a good use of time yet, but I'll continue watching and we'll update people here. Yeah, keep me posted. So the premise of this show is that there are four farmers, not a single one, as I was led to believe, who want wives. Um, They have taken... What is happening over there? (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. I had a a sip of coffee in my mouth when you just said that. I'm sorry. Is it called Farmer... Once a wife, and it's four farmers. That's correct. So it should be farmers want wives. Oh my god! I see why they didn't call it that because that's misleading in a different way. But that I'm literally crying. That is the funniest. Like, okay, sorry. Go on, teacher. Teach us. So they bring women from cities. To meet these farmers. Then the farmers select from 16 or 8 or so. I can't remember the number. And choose some women to bring back to their respective farms. So the farmers are from North Carolina, Georgia, Oklahoma, and Tennessee. And what this has really highlighted for me is just the way that a lot of dating shows are completely devoid of conversation around race, religion, politics, sexuality, in a way that is so disingenuous to the lives the rest of us in the real world lead. If you meet someone on a dating app, I guarantee the first thing you are looking at is one of those things, right? Like a lot of people will set their parameters to only show them a certain political party, for example. I am very open to the argument that we all need to stop living in our own echo chambers. But People need to understand the identities that those they're considering pursuing romantic relationships with hold. And there is just absolutely none of that in a show where they are taking women from cities and throwing them into the middle of nowhere. 
and not teeing up any sort of robust conversation around this. And specifically, the fact that they are putting them in these four states, which are known to have a series of restrictive laws against a lot of people, it's just very concerning to me. And I'm going to use Tennessee as an example. We have a very restrictive abortion law, a possible new law that will allow clerks to not sign marriage licenses for queer couples. We have a law that has been passed banning drag. That is a state that they are throwing all of these women into and who are about to have a romantic experience based on chemistry and connection, but not anything related to sort of the bigger issues that might pop up in their lives. And whether or not any of them are anything other than straight, white, and cisgender, it is likely they know people or have some sort of relationship to the broader discussion that needs to be happening in these states. And we see this in the Bachelor franchise, too. We know that the discussions around religion and politics happen, but they happen off camera during the fantasy suites. I don't think this is how we need to be having dating shows look moving forward. We're in a world where discussion is critical, and we can't romanticize romance by pretending that talking about the intersection of identities isn't important. I was just gonna I was just gonna bring up The Bachelor because do you think that oh, I can't believe I'm asking this have him say the sentence. Do you think that farmer wants a wife is just not having the conversations whatsoever or that they're happening behind some kind of closed door? Like is your issue that you don't think these conversations are happening in reality on these shows or that the editing is not showing us? these conversations? That's a great question. And I think time will tell with this particular show. There was a brief discussion of religion for two people this episode, which I think is great. There's so much focus on can this woman pick up a huge straw bale? Like that's going to show compatibility. Like if you want to show us whether or not these people are compatible from two different worlds, like a Hallmark movie played out on screen, then give us a little something more because I don't think it matters how much how much muscle she has. I think it matters. Can she fit into this world that you live in, in this state? Like, no, this is like makes this, it's becoming clear to me, especially in the Farmer Wants a Wife situation where they think what's interesting about it is like, can this city girl who works out at Equinox lift a bale of hay on a farm as her new life but what the real actual interesting i think for you and i is like can this person who lives in this completely in some ways different world also live in this new world and have those conversations not about these more surface level like can they adjust their workouts and can they like wake up earlier or whatever i haven't watched it but 100%. I think it's just totally missing this important part of the conversation. And they're not the only show to do that. And I don't think that it's really creating the kind of dialogue it could by refusing to show that and by pretending that romance is that instant spark. Yeah, I think probably one of the only shows that I think probably did this remotely okay is the early real world shows. Those were like, I mean... Some real, real hard conversations happening there. Not romance related, typically, just coexisting. That's what people want to see. And totally. 
But I think we've both read that piece on whether The Bachelor is just a Christian conservative dating show and they don't talk about that part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying it is or isn't, but I think pretending all this stuff doesn't exist is. I know it's weird. That's not the world we're in. (laughs) Yeah. I was, I listened to a podcast where they were talking about a very, it's not the same thing, but how even in The Bachelor, they're not even allowed to say things like TikTok or Instagram. Like it's supposed to be like completely devoid of like any kind of current cultural reference of any of any type look the bachelor is not timeless stop trying to make it timeless (laughs) it's really not go watch an earlier season you will know it's not timeless so we are simultaneously advocating for more awareness of what's going in the world but less awareness of you being a contestant on a reality show that's what i was gonna say earlier i was like we're 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 asking for a lot here we're we're trying because you brought up the bachelor as being something where they say journey and stuff like that to make like there's no self-referencing of the show. But like that's also what they're doing is also not what we're asking for. <laughs> we contain multitudes and we expect that you too, our viewers, do <laughs> as well. Hashtag Walt Whitman. Love the call out. That's Walt Whitman, right? Couldn't tell you. Okay. Well, I'm open to being corrected. Okay. <laughs> My uh, office hours is i will just say that like typically my office hours will be less um i would say important than christina's but i'm going to share mine regardless i wanted to talk about something that happened in reality tv this week that made me think of a social psychological finding that i i really like and i think is interesting and it was a great example of it actually i was like wow that's so perfect so in this this week's episode of survivor us we learned that one of the players who went to tribal council, Matthew, chose to play his shot in the dark at the previous tribal council, not because he was worried that he was going to go home, but because he didn't want any blood on his hands by having to cast a vote for anyone. So he basically was like, I'm going to play shot in the dark so that I don't have to vote for anyone in my tribe, even though it's pretty clear to me, at least, that he has a clear allyship with specific people on his tribe. And so I wanted to talk, and and he's like talking about this as if it's a really smart strategic move. But I actually listened to some podcasts last week that also suggested that this would have been like, if he did the shot in the dark for that reason, that would have been like a really smart, like that would have been a great strategy. Like that's like an interesting reason to have done it. But I wanted to talk, and maybe it was, I don't know, context is everything and I'm not there on on the game. But there, I wanted to just share this interesting finding that actually... A friend of mine who definitely is not going to be listening to this podcast, but he published on this. And there's also related literature about the relationship between indecision slash not taking a stand and trustworthiness. So I think it's um, oftentimes it's a miscalculation that we make where we're like, I'm going to not show my cards and what I care about or who I care about in an effort to self-protect myself against negative evaluation from others, when in reality, that decision can be viewed the most negatively. Because in some cases, like my friend Julian, who published on this, has shown that people who, even on like morally charged issues, people who take a stand one way or another are seen as more trustworthy than people who either conceal their stance or waffle between stances. And which is interesting because it's like, 
even for an issue that you really care, you really think is like, there's one answer to it, you're still going to evaluate. I, I, these are the studies here, and this doesn't apply to everything, but you you might still evaluate someone who is very passionate in the opposite direction as more trustworthy than someone who has no feelings about it one way or another. I should say that trustworthiness is different from liking and like wanting to affiliate with the person. Like this is a different attribute. It's not like, oh, I want to hang out with people who have the opposite view on these really important topics that I do. But I just think it's, it's, I, and I saw this in Matthew's decision. I was like, I don't know if that's going to have the, imp- if people knew the real reason why you didn't play that is because you don't want to like show your hand. I don't think that's going to make you be seen positively. I actually think it would have been better if you just picked a side and everyone, even the people you voted against, would probably see you as more trustworthy than if you just just like abstain from voting at all. And there's a this is also shows up in like, I don't know this literature very well, but like moral dilemmas. So if you're reading about someone having to make a decision in a moral dilemma and they like waver or they take more time to make their decision, it makes perceivers evaluate you i think with more hesitation than if you are just someone who will just like you know you know what you're going to do and you're going to do it so again context is everything there's uh everything's an interaction effect which just means like this isn't always true there's always going to be cases where this is not true but i just think that it's an interesting idea i love knowing the sort of support for that because I think we've seen that when people have really been proud of being in the middle and, you know, everyone loves to think they're the swing vote, which is funny because there can't be 10 swing votes, but it's not often perceived well when you get to the final tribal because people want to know what were the moves you made intentionally and on purpose and something that can be perceived as anything but that doesn't really gain a lot of love from from the jury. Totally. Yeah, I think it, it I think it exactly what you're saying. I think that the people who I think it's even if Christina you're on a different you're in a different, you know, group of what's it called? Not a tribe, but when you're a faction, what is the word for it? Like in Survivor when it's like alliance? Alliance. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> oh. But like if you're on a different alliance than me, but you're like going hard for everyone on your alliance and I get booted. And at the end, I'm like, you know what? I respect the fact that she protected her alliance so hard as opposed to like if you made it to the end by like waffling back and forth between alliances. So just an interesting. And I think that Matthew was super proud of his decision. And I just thought, I don't know. I don't know if that's the right sense. And I'm definitely proof of that response because when he said that at the beginning of this week's episode i thought huh convenient i don't know if i believe you (laughs) or even if i do not that impressive wrong move should have saved your friend brandon brandon exactly i'm gonna close with my quote of the week because i do have one this week i won't always have one but in (laughs) i'm not gonna say who said it because christina's currently watching the season and she's like pretty early in the season so i don't want to spoil who's still around But in one of this week's episodes of Survivor Australia, someone asks someone else, are you ready to ride the lightning? (laughs) I just thought, what are you talking about? And that's the show. I'm Christina. And I'm Em. Class dismissed.
And that's the episode. This podcast was recorded and produced by us, Em and Christina. The views, thoughts, and opinions are ours alone. Special thanks to Caroline Reedy for episode art. Check out her work at doot underscore doodles on Instagram. If you like what you heard, please leave us a rating or review. Want to get in touch? Send us an email, realitytvphdpod at gmail.com. See you next week.